Actually, though, before we begin, though, I was I did a recent interview with uh, Sam Roberts, a uh, singer-songwriter, and he was talking about um, uh, Master and Commander, the movie, from a few years back. And I know yeah. you worked on that. He really, yeah. he really enjoyed it. So uh, there you go. You can get, uh, you can pass a high five to the Master and Commander crew. Uh, it was kind of like an odd, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> odd thing for him to come out of. But um, yeah, he really enjoyed it. So well done on that too. That's it. Well, I was, I, I, I was basically the person taking walkie-talkies around. So I don't know how much credit I can claim for whatever <laughs> turned out of the, uh, of the film. But I appreciate it nonetheless. You know film like it's a village, right? So like... That's right. That's right. So everybody like, you know what I mean? Like your walkie-talkies helped just as much as the director did, right? So... I, I don't know about that, but, uh, but sure. Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy. Number 28 in your program, number one in your heart, Yunnan. Welcome, director Matthew Hamachek, who visits to discuss the dynasty, New England Patriots. Now streaming on Apple TV+, Plus, a 10-part docuseries on, well, the dynasty of the New England Patriots. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and all of them. Trust me. On this docuseries, it really is all of them. Dynasties are strange entities. They don't all start the same way, nor do they end the same way. They're unique because the players and the coaches involved are unique. This Apple TV docuseries, centered on the New England Patriots, features interviews with over 60 players, executives, uh, coaches, fans, sports writers. In my conversation with Matthew, I brought up two of the key contributors who didn't even play for the New England Patriots, Michael Hawley and Tom Brady's dad. You're going to hear how special both those interviews were. That's why I focused on those two out of this pile of 60. Watching the dynasty, that's a defined element that stands out. Personalities drive magic. There's a profound elegance to sports. Generally, there's a clear winner and a clear loser. There are asterisk wins and debatable calls from the refs at the end of games, but generally, there are clear winners and clear losers. Life is not that clean or even clear. It sounds cruel, but it's not. Success is denying others glory. That's what Michael Jordan did. That's what Tom Brady did. Tom Brady has won the most Super Bowls of any player in NFL history with seven. Six of them famously with the New England Patriots. Brady won the 2002, 2004, 5, 2015, 17, and 29 Super Bowls quarterbacking the Patriots. I have to say, it's truly impressive. That's why this docuseries is in a way necessary. What Matthew does that's so great is he steps aside and gives each person space and time to tell their own story. The Dynasty is an adaptation of a Jeff Benedict book that was published in 2020. Jeff's sports books are fantastic. They're magnificent. I particularly recommend The Dynasty, one of the best books on the New England Patriots. I appreciate his primary focuses on football. He doesn't dwell on a lot of TMZ gossip. The Dynasty, Jeff's book, is a fantastic business breakdown on success. The actual financial cost as much as the emotional costs is a steep price to pay for success. As you hear in this conversation with Matthew, there's a famous Batman quote that directly applies to the success of the New England Patriots. Matthew and I talk about that Batman quote 
and the soundtrack. Jay-Z, Queen, and Bowie and more. This documentary has a killer soundtrack. Before Apple TV's The Dynasty, there was The Last Dance on Netflix. And watching that, viewers and sports fans recognize that ending dynasties is just as hard as building them. Belichick witnessed Brady, the quarterback he basically released to go on and win a Super Bowl. The middle of a dynasty is just the constant winning. Maybe there's some drama in there with contracts or whatever it may be, but the middle is just mostly the winning. But how do dynasties end? And how do dynasties start? This is a direct quote from Jeff's book. At the moment, Robert Kraft owned a franchise that had never won a championship. Belichick's overall record with the Patriots was 5-13. and Brady had never started an NFL game. It was unimaginable to think that Bledsoe was staring up at the nucleus of the greatest sports dynasty of the modern era. End quote. The beginning is a fantastic way for me to start talking to Matthew about the dynasty of the New England Patriots. Oh, you better believe I'm still making a strong tea for this Apple TV docu-series. All right, Stephanie, hit it! Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise, a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. Let's start a at the beginning of your docu-series on the Patriots dynasty, because it opens with a stirring montage of the Patriot victories, uh, and it's set to Queen and Bowie's Under Pressure. Yes. I assume that song, uh, Under Pressure, was chosen because it's a good way to set the tone, right? Under Pressure. This is exactly who they were, always under pressure. Were you ever considering any other songs for that montage, or was it always Under Pressure? It was, that's a great question. So to, so to, to help the audience understand we 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 sort of open the thing with almost like a trailer or a what this this series on kind of moment where you get to sort of watch everything which you know which includes the victories the scandals the the falling apart of the dynasty and everything and so it's a great question because trailer is a good word for it yeah and we you know music for the opening of a series I think is something that can can really be a make or break thing. I know a lot of people who tell me that they, you know, especially with everything that's on streaming these days, that they sort of put something on and if it grabs them, they stay. And mm-hmm. so I think we really understood the idea that we had to have something that, that set the table for both diehard Patriot fans, but also people who aren't Patriot fans and people who could care less about football. So how do you squeeze that all into, um, you know, three minutes or whatever that ended up being? Um my recollection is that we never really had any other song that we were strongly considering for that. And what was so unique about this song was that the estates for both Freddie Mercury and for Bowie, who I think are the people, the folks that sort of oversee um, a song like this, were willing to let us not only use it um, for at, at a great rate, but also uh, we're willing to let us almost reorchestrate it, and because there's, it's not like we play the song clean. We, mm-hmm. you know, we um, we we had to make it so that it could follow the journey of the trailer itself, which starts off triumphantly, but then also goes into some of the you know less sort of glory of the game moments of the story of the the New England Patriots. So the fact that we were able to work with our composer Scott 
Salinas and um, uh, Nick Biagetti, who's the editor who edited that um, that that opening. Uh, it was sort of this big collaborative effort, as well as Justin Wilkes, who's the president of Imagine Entertainment, um, came in and gave a couple of crucial notes there that really helped change it. It was, um, you know, it turned out, I'm very, very proud of it. And it was this extremely collaborative effort of us. I think there probably were, you know, 37, 40, even more edits of that thing well, before yeah. we got it to the place where it was actually, you know, it actually worked the way we wanted it to. So, mm-hmm. um but yeah, it was important. It has it sets the tone for everything to come. Yeah, that's why I bring it up because I was like, oh man, this is a great like uh, selection, like a great choice to use under pressure because you instantly get it. And like even just throughout the documentary though, like it has a fantastic soundtrack. Episode five opens with Jay Z's public service announcement. That's for the Patriots mm-hmm. 2008 season. There are a number of other songs throughout the ten part docu series. Was the soundtrack influenced by the conversations you were having with the players, maybe songs they played in the locker room, or was that all, like, I guess, director's jukebox? There were definitely two instances where it was the songs were being played in the locker and it, you know, were, were being, I guess, three, actually, that were being referenced um, by interviews, right? So the two that I can think of off the top of my head are... Another one bites the dust, which is coming up in episode four, which is out this Friday. Mm-hmm. That is a song that Teddy Bruschi would always play that season, as they, you know, after Spygate had happened, the, the scandal where they were caught breaking the rules by filming the opponent's sig- signals on the sidelines, and uh, instead of sort of, you know, going off into their corner and and licking their wounds they instead went on this tear where they took on and defeated every single team in the regular season and the playoffs um until they got to the super bowl uh, and as they did that teddy bruski had um you know like a ipod shuffle or something like that and a a uh you know a thing a docking station that you would put it in and he would put that song on after every single game. After they'd beaten one, they would, you know, if the Queen song would come on. And um, that was just, it, it was awesome not only to be able to get that song again from Queen, which was so generous to let us use it, um, but also, you know, to be able to be in the locker room and have that footage from the archives where you can actually see him putting it into his docking station, pressing play and, and, and watching this thing, you know, uh, unfold and Nick Biagetti, who put together that opening montage, but also put together the initial montage of another one bites the dust. What he always likes to say about it is, you know, by this time the Patriots have become the evil empire because one, they've won so much. They won three Super Bowls in four in, you know, however many years it is at that point. And in addition to that, they've, gotten caught up in this spygate scandal mm-hmm. so they become the evil empire and he's he described it that that that's sort of another one bites the dust montage as you're on the death star going from planet to planet with the patriots destroying everybody in their path <laughs> but instead of it being a somber darth vader like atmosphere they're actually having a party while they're doing it and that song sort of perfectly encapsulates that that moment a death star party bus i guess yeah exactly exactly yeah. <laughs> I want to stay at the beginning because 
the Drew Bledsoe Tom Brady dynamic uh, was kind of, in a sense, the trailer for how Bill Belichick would operate. Like he always seemed to treat many players like they were milk and had an expiration date. So, h- how would you describe Drew Bledsoe in the interviews you conducted? It's weird because he's an integral part of the Patriots story, but not necessarily like you know, like I was saying to you before, with like you work on Master Commander, you're part of the story, but it's not like necessarily the ones who's getting a lot of the glory or doing the things in the Super Bowl. You know. Well, I'm not so sure about that. So I want to just go back to one thing you said, the, the, the thing about Belichick treating mm-hmm. everybody like, well, I, 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 don't, I don't think of it that way. Okay. I think of it like, okay, so, you know, the, the thing that made, one of the things that made this story of the Patriots and this dynasty unique is that this happened during the, you know, free agency and salary cap uh, era of the NFL, whereas a lot of the other dynasties in the past hadn't. And so what that meant is that you know, you couldn't just spend endlessly on players. And so one of, I would think, I would say Bill Belichick's superpowers is that he was always cutting people one year early rather than one year or three years late Mm -hmm. and giving players an unnecessarily bloated contract, right? And that's, you know, that kind of thinking, I understand that some people might say, well, that's really ruthless. It's also one of the reasons that they were so successful, right? So you can't you can't ignore you can't just take the um, you can't just focus on the negative aspect of it. You also have to point out the fact that this is why they had so much success. And I think that you know, speaking to the Drew Bledsoe thing, I think that yeah, it was uh, it was this crucial decision, probably one of the greatest coaching decisions in the history of the NFL. You have to you have to think of it that way, I, I, I believe. But at the same time, um, you know, I, I think that Teddy Bruschi in the episode that's about to come up talks about how Drew could have done a lot of things that year to make that situation unbearable for everybody in that locker room and create tension and division and stuff like that. But instead, here's a $100 million quarterback who's doing what's best for the team. And then Teddy Bruschi, I remember, it gave me chills when he said it to me when we were in the interview chair. He said, I believe that's where the Patriot way started. And for a person like Teddy, who is one of the most revered players in, in Patriot history, to say that about Drew, it speaks, it speaks volumes. And I think there's a lot of people out there that feel that way, that you know, Drew set the tone for what became the Patriot way, which is this idea of selflessness. That idea of selflessness and the Patriots way, like the, the Patriots have endlessly been covered, like, and dissected from podcasts to social media to sports journalism and much more. So when you're telling a story that everybody thinks they know, or everybody like a story that people believe they know, like what's your North star? Are you seeking nuance? Are you seeking fairness? What, what's your guiding North Star as you conduct all these interviews across different players, coaches, and more? Yeah, it, well, first off, it's it's getting out of the way and letting them tell their stories. And yes, everything has to be complex. There's an interesting thing in our culture today where everybody wants the simple answer. Is somebody good or bad? Are they right or wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's the villain, who's the good guy, right? And I think that that's the least interesting kind of story in a lot of ways. I think the thing that you want to do is show whether it's a story about football, whether it's a story about, I worked on a, on a documentary about Amanda Knox. I direct, The last thing I directed was about Tiger Woods. For HBO. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think you always just want to make, 
you know, you, you want to tell these deeply human stories, and we, I think you want to put the audience throughout the entire series in the in sort of the shoes of the people that they're listening to and sort of say, well, you know, I may not agree with what the person did there, but I understand why they did it. And even as the story evolves and becomes a story of how the thing fell apart, I want everybody to be able to watch this thing and say, well, I understand why Tom behaved this way here, even if it's, I, even if I don't agree with it, or even if I wish that, you know, he had done things differently and the same goes for Bill or for Robert or for any of the people that were there. And I think that if you focus on letting these people tell their stories and make sure that, that those stories lead to complexity and nuance, I think that's when you probably have done your job. But the, the complexity and nuance too extends to winning in a weird way because the, there was a recent Super Bowl commercial with Vince Vaughn. It's a sports betting commercial for an app or something. But anyways, the idea is that you can bet on games except for Tom Brady because Tom Brady has won too much. That's the hook mm. of the, the commercial. And so I'm asking this because you also did the Tiger documentary when Tiger won a lot as well. Like, is is winning too much like a problem? Like you said, like where that nuance and that, that complexity kind of kicks in because it's like, you know, when you're an underdog, people generally root for them. And when they succeed, it's like, yeah, underdogs. And then there's like champions and generally we celebrate those, right? And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But then there's dynasties, which can sometimes, and in this case of the Patriots, generate resentment. So is winning too much almost like a, a real problem? It's a great question. So I, when I interviewed in episode four, the ones about to air this Friday, um, I got to interview Michael Strahan, who played for the New York Giants and faced the Patriots twice in two different Super Bowls, but in particular, the one that we cover the most as at the end of the 2007 season. And towards the end of the interview, I remember talking to him about the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. And there's this line there where somebody says, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And it's something that Michael started started talking about in our interview. Mm -hmm. And what that means in the context of the NFL is, you know, my team that I root for is the Green Bay Packers. And they've had a lot of success and there's a lot of other teams that are going to hear me say this and think, my gosh, is if, if, if this guy has something to complain about, if only we could be so lucky, but <laughs> you know, with the green Bay Packers, um, you know, they've, they've, they've had one Super Bowl win and in 2010, 2011 season. And, you know, they're sort of a story of a team and they've had tons of success after that, but they went to their, they went to their Super Bowl, they won it. And then they haven't been able to get back since. Mm -hmm. And in a way they are an example of the die, the hero, right? Um, because they haven't had that success. But if you keep winning and winning like the Patriots did, you're inevitably going to become the villain. And that's part of just human nature, right? Everybody wants to lift somebody up and, and, um, and root for the underdog. But then the second you become too successful, you have a target on your back. And, and I think that the story of Spygate is a lot about that, right? The Patriots, without a doubt, broke, broke a rule. And they were very well informed that they shouldn't be doing that. And it's, it's clear as day. And they admit to it. In the, in the episode, you see it. Mm -hmm. The question, I think, is, you know, I don't think that they were the only people out there doing it. And I think that, you know, there's probably a lot of the reasons they were targeted so much 
was because of their success. And that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, mitigate the fact that they did something wrong. I'm not trying to make excuses at all. Um, but that's I a question of fairness a, though, right? Like if you're going to have a rule, like the speeding limit is for everybody. It's not just for like people in regular cars and then the guy in the Tesla can drive like 70 or whatever. You know what I mean? The speed limit is for everybody. So yeah, if you're yeah, going to yeah. have a rule, <laughs> you should apply. Like that's what I also kind of struggled too watching that part in the docu-series because it's like, you're telling me nobody, like there's 30 odd NFL teams. You're telling me nobody else like videotaped or did anything. Right. Well, and, and in fact, I think it was reported um, on in at by ESPN at some point that even the team that turned them in had been had been sort of caught doing something similar uh, the year a year before. So yeah, like there's definitely people that are doing it. But I also understand it because I didn't grow up a Patriot fan. So you know, there's only so many times you want to watch somebody win, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's an odd thing. It shouldn't be that way. And when you hear yourself say something like that, you're like, oh man, like. Why do, why do I resent success? Um, but I think it's sort of part of human nature for whatever reason. And um, yeah, that's what makes it complicated. So it makes the, the Patriots complicated. And I think really when you get into this discussion is to me is less about Spygate because I think Spygate is pretty clear cut. Like, yes, there's complexity to it, obviously. But really to me, when we get into the, the sort of jealousy and envy and sort of the media spectacle around something and sort of almost in a farcical nature is when we get into deflate gate in episode seven because that's when you start to see the entire country get consumed by this story to the point where one of the major morning shows in in the states is they they, they say you see the anchor say well the first story of the day is the you know the multi-month long story of whether or not tom brady let air pressure out of a football and then <laughs> yeah. they say in, in, in other news, ISIS, you know, beheaded a hostage. Then you, <laughs> yeah. you watch that and you're just like, what is wrong with people? Like yeah. even in, and that's sort of one of the points of we, 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 one of the journalists says in the thing is maybe he did it. He probably did. But what are we talking about here? It's air pressure in a football and we're consumed by it to the point where we're viewing ISIS and what's going on over there is, um, you know, a secondary story. So, you know, there, there are times when, um, you get to sort of turn a spotlight on on the culture, the people at large, you know, or country at large, and and that was certainly one of those moments. Yeah, I think it was episode four. You have Michael Hawley, a uh, Boston sports writer, Boston sports journalist, and he said uh, one of his lines from that episode was the 2007 season. People were just waiting for the Patriots to slip up and lose, lose mm-hmm. so we can make fun of you, lose so we can get a response. Because so far, we don't have anything to hold over you. So there was always kind of, I guess what he's saying is there was always that kind of resentment that was building up. Like as they started to win, and like, all right, like it's clear you're going to build a dynasty here. There was a resentment uh, that was already kind of brewing. And by the way, how, how great is Michael Hawley? He's a cool dude. He, he was, he's one of the best interviews. I mean, to be honest, like all of those journalists were. And, and, and I think Michael, Michael was incredible, um, but, you know, whether it was Tom Kern or even, you know, Nora Princiati is another example. Um, she comes in later in the episodes, but I think one of the things that I really wanted to find when I reached out to her was a lot of those guys are sort of, and, and, and Jackie are sort of the mainstays of Boston journalism. They're... A lot of them were sort of in the same age range and things like that. I wanted to find somebody in, like Nora who could who talked about things with it in a different way, in a different tone, and was in sort of a younger generation. And I, I think her interview is 
one of the best in the entire series. And just, you know, all of these people who uh, are incredible journalists for them, giving us all of their time. It was, it was, was incredible. Let's stick actually with one person specifically who was another like non-patriot, which was Tom Brady's dad. Um, mm. I felt like there was a real connection there through the screen <laughs> watching that. Um, what was the vibe like in the room shooting that special interview? I don't know if you can even kind of convey it or express just how. That... No, I can. I oh. can absolutely tell you. It was, it was uh, the thing that you felt watching him, I think, is the same thing that everybody that was in. And this applies to, to Tom Sr., to Nancy Brady, Tom's sister, and to Galen, um, his mom all of whom came in it's basically on the same day and interviewed. I will never forget, there, it's in episode two, when, because Tom Sr. has gone on the record over the years talking about how, talking a lot about the ending of the story, right? And his personal feelings about, like, you know, Bill and how that all went down. And... What what really got me was a couple different things. First is in episode two when he starts to get choked up talking about Bill calling his son and telling him that he was going to be a patriot. Um, that was pretty magical. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that every, everybody in that room noticed that was it, it was the crew that was there was just how much um, how much he cared and. And it sounds silly because he's obviously his dad, so he feels this way. But there was just this level of unconditional love for his son. Yeah, that's the way and to put it. Were, yeah, there were there was multiple people in the studio that day who came over to me afterwards and said, "I wish Tom Brady Senior was my dad." Mm-hmm. And that was just the feeling in the room, and it sort of applied to all of them. They they are a great family, and again. I know I keep saying this about everybody and they came and talked to us, but it's just one of those things where you're just like, you just feel so lucky that these people give you their time. And these are complicated stories for Drew Bledsoe, not a, not a story that he probably wants to talk, spend time talking about. Um, there are aspects of this thing that I'm sure the, the Brady's didn't want to spend time talking about. And sometimes these are stories that they've told over and over and over again. The challenge of directing something like this and for everybody that was there that would help me prep for interviews and were uh, helping me produce them is how do we get these people to tell these stories as if they had never told them before and they're telling them for the first time. And when we go back to this idea of like, I wasn't a Patriot fan, I didn't really know the story. So in a way, it wasn't that much artifice to the way I had to ask the questions because I didn't know what the answers were. I had some inkling of what they may have said in the past and the prep that everybody on the team did for me before the interviews happened. But there was that natural curiosity of like, okay, yeah, like I understand, you know, even even when I was talking to Scott Piolian or the Adams who were on the coaching staff, you know, getting back to this question of why they went with Tom Brady over Drew Bledsoe, history has sort of proven the decision right. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I kept trying to figure out is, what, but, but, but why were you so sure that this was the way to go? Like, what did you see in Drew that made you think that he wasn't the quarterback of the future? And what did you see in Tom that made you think he was? And I, and I know it's such a basic question, but because history has proven the decision to be so obviously accurate, it's like some of the, some of the time they hadn't really been asked those questions in the past. And so that kind of thing led to great answers. And I think the key to this is, is just always being really curious 
and genuinely interested in what these people have to say and having conversations with them. Um, and that leads to really good answers. This is your second Jeff Benedict sportsbook adaptation. First, there was Tiger. Uh, now is currently yeah. Dynasty on Apple TV. Um, and his 2023 book is called LeBron. Are you going to do the trilogy and adapt that as well? Well, look, I would love to work with Jeff Benedict until the end of time. He's he's a great, great writer. And, you know, Jeff's superpower is really his relationships that he built up over time. And in both the case of Tiger um, and this book, the Dynasty book, really what's great is that the people who participated um, in, in doing interviews for both of those things trusted Jeff. And so when, he, when, I, when I get their numbers through Jeff, mm-hmm. or whoever, I can call up and it's almost like, well, if Jeff says you're okay, then I, they're, a lot, they're a lot more willing to entertain the idea of sitting down on camera and talking. So Donnie Basco, uh, no idea what's going on. Like you're yeah. the, <laughs> you get the mafia approval, right? Like this guy's good. I guess so. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Um, but no, but yeah, like, I mean, I have no idea what's going on with that book and we haven't even talked about it, but, um, but, uh, you know, I'd love to work with Jeff in the future. All right. Thank you, Matthew, so much for like hanging out and talking to me. Okay. Uh, now, th- thank you for talking. Uh, the docuseries is fantastic I've seen the whole thing and like you and the team like everybody gets a high five like I said the soundtrack the editing all of it is tons of fun and you learn how that magic is done right like whenever a magician does something you're like where did he put the quarter where did, is it up his sleeve and so this was a great like kind of like peek into how the magician uh, pulled off his magic tricks well thank you so much I appreciate it I'm sure the team appreciates you saying that too Yo, that was Matthew, director of The Dynasty, a New England Patriots docuseries now streaming on Apple TV+. I'm Sammy, host of My Summer Lair. So this is a confession, because a part of me struggles to understand the media's undying passion for underdogs. Like, yo, why? It's always better to be a top dog. (laughs) Like, right? To advocate for anything but a dynasty is to support mediocrity. I find mediocrity terrifying. A dynasty is incredibly difficult to pull off in the NFL. Do it anyways. Simple satisfaction is how you end up with good enough. Good enough is a compromise. Good enough is not good enough. Be hungry. Build boldly. Build a dynasty. It doesn't matter if it's hard. This is what you're supposed to do. It's like a doctor healing a sick person. The obligation is to architect a dynasty, and that sacred responsibility is permanent. Build a dynasty. Like, dynasties are naturally significant, plus they effortlessly dispense clarity. Uh, A dynasty clearly defines the greatest. A dynasty establishes an unnegotiable and daunting benchmark. Tom Brady won six Super Bowls with the New England Patriots, seven total. Michael Jordan won six championships playing for the Chicago Bulls. There's no rebuttal. For unvarnished greatness like that. That's the modern standard. Yeah, yeah. Times can change. The game can evolve. Yet, thankfully, high standards are concrete. Standards of success do not bend to the temperamental whims of fans or obtuse sports commentators. They remain fixed like a North Star. You and I both know haters are inevitable. A dynasty is a beautiful success that breeds haters. You can't achieve anything in this life without somebody telling you you suck. 
At Dynasty Sciences Critics, their open mouths will continue talking, but they say nothing of value. That's why winning once is good, but it's not good enough. In music, we have one-hit wonders. Are you lucky or are you good? How good are you? Do you want to be lucky or do you want to be the best? A dynasty denies doubts. Every single human being goes through life doubted. You're picked last in gym or in the NFL draft. You're doubted at school and you're doubted at work. Sometimes overlooked for an earned promotion. It's not right. A dynasty in dominance is beneficial. It forces everyone else in the league to get better, to battle harder. That's wonderfully uplifting. That's a personal opportunity for elevation. It is not time for somebody else to get a chance, whatever that means. If you're tired of them, whoever they are, if you're tired of them always winning, then stop talking. Do the work. The hunger it takes to build a dynasty is infectious because there will always be a hungry opposition. Tom Brady lost three Super Bowls in his career. Get back up, get better, get going, and get after it. A dynasty is a game clock. Teams get such a small window of time where health, skills, and the coaches all come together. Winning is hard, hard work and requires luck, but it also requires so much sacrifice. You only get this window of time. You and I both know Tom Brady was never going to play to 50. You only get this window of time. Maximize it. A dynasty teaches you to value time. A dynasty forces you as a sports fan or even as a sports hater to be present. Take nothing for granted. Tom Brady and Michael Jordan are retired. Kobe Bryant is dead. One day, Steph Curry will retire. It all goes faster than you expect. And you don't truly understand how special it is until it's officially over. Be in the moment. Be present and witness the glory when there's glory to witness. A dynasty transforms a city and impacts its communities. Common good is evaporating and a dynasty is one of the crucial ways we infuse a collective and civic pride back into our cities. Winning. Winning covers a multitude of sins. As you can hear, I find dynasties powerful. Like putting your finger into the electric socket. It's a current. Losing can have value, but it'll never be worth as much as winning. If you don't agree with any of these statements, or even if you do agree, reach out. I'm on socials at My Summer Lair for all three. Twitter, IG, and Facebook. My Summer Lair. Let me know what you thought of this fantastic and moving docuseries. The Dynasty, New England Patriots. Now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. Thank you for listening to me in the Netflix world. Tom Brady, yo.